I just moved into a new town and I got run over by the welcome wagon. America has always prided itself on being the land of opportunity. That image, for many people, is fading. Nobel Prize winning economist Angus Deaton and his wife, fellow Princeton professor Anne Case, say that for the majority, the reality of the American dream is disappearing. I do worry about a world in which the rich get to write the rules, um, which the rest of us then have to obey. Professor Case, it's already being labeled by some as despair-related deaths. What is it particularly about this mortality rate that stood out to you? There are several parts of this that are puzzles that we have to dig into further. The fact that it's men and women, mortality rates by suicide, by drug overdose, by alcohol-related death, rising for both men and women. We know the proximate causes, drug overdose, availability of prescription opioids, but I think the, the next round of research will be to look at the deeper causes. Life matters and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives. In this podcast, Pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life. Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Well, Pastor Walt, you're going to be thinking out loud today. I know that because that's the name of the program. So you're going to be thinking out loud on something that I think a lot of people don't really give a lot of uh, time thinking about because it's kind of negative, despair. And a lot of people are in despair today. What do you got to say about it? What's your thinking out loud thoughts? Well, this is a current topic. This is relevant for right now. And we have an epidemic in our culture. There's a mental health crisis in the United States. 40,000 people a year commit suicide. And that's an increase from 1999 to 2014 of 24%. I heard on the local news the other night there's a 41% increase in the Twin Cities and in Minnesota. So for some reason, there's a higher increase compared to the national average in our city. And there's an increase in every single age group except those over 75. Homicide is 5.1 deaths per 100,000. Suicide is 13 deaths per 100,000. That's the statistic that really grabbed me is everybody is worried about what's hiding behind the bushes, when in fact, maybe we're our own worst enemy. Maybe we're the ones to fear. But Jesus said, fear not. The news comes out again with famous people, Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade. I had never heard of Kate Spade before, but I guess she's a big wig in the fashion industry. And then we have people over the last several years, famous people, but this has been a pattern for quite some time. And the question is why? Why now? What What's different about what's happening in our culture now? The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reports suicide deaths have jumped by 24% since 1999. Suicide is now the second leading cause of death in young people between the ages of 15 and 34. But why? We're seeing the highest jump in suicides in two groups. And one is young girls between the ages of 10 and 14. The other is middle-aged men. So I sat down with a psychiatrist to talk about what he thinks might be driving this jump. 
um, in suicides. One is having a mental illness um, for which you don't receive treatment is a real risk factor for a suicide completion. Substance abuse also plays a major role in suicides. The CDC says most people who die from suicide are intoxicated at the time, either with alcohol, opioid pain medication, or other drugs. It can't be the mental health industry because we have the greatest healthcare system in the world, by far, and we have the greatest mental health care in the history of the world. Never before have we had access to mental health care like we have right now. It can't be anything other than a change in our culture. And people are being led to despair. Even the word itself, despair, just brings a negative connotation. Well, I find that that's an interesting word. And when you look at those statistics, Pastor Walt, it doesn't just happen amongst people who are poor or people who have lost a loved one along the way, even though that could happen. I mean, it happens with the rich and famous, like you're saying. But even amongst teenagers, there are the top three reasons teenagers die. One is accidents, the second is homicide, and the third is suicide. Now, here's the youth. They're at the very pinnacle of, of their lives in terms of everything's in front of them. Everything should be hopeful, and it's not. Exactly. What generation has as much access to information, material wealth. Nobody really has to worry about anything in our culture. We're pretty well taken care of, and that goes across the entire Western world. So what is it? What is this change that people feel? And of course, I could have picked the topic of depression or anxiety. Maybe we think of those in terms of medical terms. But I've thought about the word despair. I wanted to stick with that word, despair. That's what people are really feeling. Thinking about Anthony Bourdain, I was listening to a couple of clips from him the other day, and he was talking about how he would go to an airport, pass through an airport, and he decided to get a burger, and he would get this burger, and it would be pretty blasé, and he would get depressed over the burger for a week, and he would just fall into this deep despair and this depression over this burger, and he didn't really understand. So maybe there was something clinical with him. But then on the flip side, I read another quote where he was really upset about people posting their meals on Facebook. And he said, the idea is that my meal is better than yours. The idea is that I'm having more fun than you. My meal is superior. So there was something about that that bothered him in kind of in the same way the hamburger did. But I think he saw, he must have seen what social media is doing. Social media is bringing out the worst in us. You know, a person puts on Facebook and sending a note out to all my friends, if you voted for so-and-so, I'm unfriending you. I'm not going to be your friend anymore. And you look at that and you think, that's immature. It's childish. Hopefully that person will regret that kind of behavior. But if you're on the receiving end of that, why wouldn't it lead you to a sort of despair? My relationship with this person is only as deep as politics. The things that we've shared together, the relationship that we have, it's over because I don't believe and I don't think the way this person does. We're told scientifically that every time you get a like on Facebook, you get a dose of serotonin. And I think our brains are experiencing gymnastics. It's up and down. I feel good one second and the next moment I can feel total despair. How is it that a hamburger 
can make a person feel despair. I'm sure there are other cultural issues. One of the things that I think about is the urbanization of the United States. Everybody's moved off a farm at the beginning of the 19th century. 90% of people lived on farms, 10% in the cities, and it's been a complete reversal. Now we've got about 90% in cities and 10% living kind of in that farm atmosphere. But if you think about the farm, you're contained, you've got your father, you've got your mother. They're pretty much the influence in your life. And now you've got not just a couple of influences, your parents, your church, your school. Now you've got hundreds of influences and your brain is being barraged all of the time. We can think about access to drugs. I live in South Minneapolis and there's the heroin addiction. But then I talk to my friends in rural areas and they say they have the meth addiction. And so the People are dying in the rural areas just as fast as they're dying in the cities. How about sex? The internet has made it totally accessible. And so I can look at this computer screen and I can get this woman to do anything I want her to do. And I can find most of it pretty cheap. It's the largest internet business in the world, pornography. Then I meet a real flesh and blood person and they reject me because I can't make this person do what I want them to do. And so I isolate myself in front of the computer, and I don't have those healthy, stimulating, person-to-person relationships. And eventually, in every area, whether it's socialization, relationships with other people, even in my sexuality, I'm led to a point of despair. Uh, And of course, God has a plan. I don't know God's plan. I'm ignorant of it. And all of these hundreds of images are coming at me. And the message is that this is good. I remember my father talking when I was growing up. He said back in the 1950s, Playboy came out. And if you looked at a Playboy, you were the lowest. Society looked down on you. You would have to go into a seedy, dark bookstore. And way in the back, there'd be pornography. But now, somehow, magically, our culture says pornography is healthy for you, and it's good for you. You're listening to Thinking Out Loud with Walt McFadden. So obviously, as you're saying, all these things contribute to isolation and keeping people in the wrong mode of relationships. So as we unpack despair, if you're connected to many people, like in a church setting, would it not be healthy for a person to be able to have relationships and be able to talk that despair through? But a lot of people don't. Let's start there with the church, and that's my my main concern as a pastor. So what do we do in the church now? We provide more media, more intellectual stimulation, in and out quickly. Don't have a time to interact with people. Don't have a time to build those relationships. It is this pluralistic mindset that everything in my life is compartmentalized into a specific time. So Church might be Saturday night at 6 or it might be Sunday morning at 10.30, fits into a specific time. And there I go and I get my spirituality taken care of. But then on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I go to the gym at 6 a.m. and I get my physical body taken care of. When Jesus was dealing with the whole man, Jesus was dealing with the whole package. And we don't have time 
to sit down and develop those relationships because the church doesn't provide it. And so we give people what they want, not what they need. We don't provide an environment. And of course, Sunday morning makes it a little bit difficult. Everybody's got something going on after church. The church has to begin to provide those kinds of settings. So in our church, and every church can have their own particular program, for lack of a better word, but we have discipleship groups. We call life on life, men with men, women with women. And that's the opportunity because the number one complaint that I get from millennials is we don't mind you talking about homosexuality or another controversial issue. In fact, we like it, but what we'd like is we'd like an opportunity to talk about it and discuss it. And so the life on life becomes the place and the atmosphere where they can ask the tough questions. And they've got tough questions, but we do have the answer to those questions. And if we are just concerned with rushing people in and out of the church and sort of segmenting it into this time period during the week, rather than, and that's why I love the term life on life, it is completely about doing life together. The whole person. So, for our life on life group, some week we'll we'll do a Bible study. Other weeks we'll just go to a movie together. It's about doing life together in the church. The church has to offer something different than hurting people in on Sunday morning and back out again and praising the people who get the numbers. It, it isn't as hard to get the numbers as we think if you have a little bit of media savvy. It's that part of true discipleship where the real hard work and we we're rewarding and we're honoring the wrong people in the church you know i really like that pastor walt because i think you're hitting on something that i think we have failed in the church as you say and ask yourself this question do you think most people when they think of church they think of it as a sermon they think of it as worship and maybe they think of it as a place where children will get trained in some sort of i mean and that's it so the hurting process is really comes natural. I'm in by 10, I'm out by 11.15, and that's all I really get out of the church until the next time I come in at 10 and out at 11.15. Don't you think that's how people see it? A- absolutely. I-, I remember back in the 90s, pastor of a church of about 2,000 said, we thought when we planted our first church, we spun off about 500 people. We thought our church would go from 2,000 to 1,500. But instead, our church grew after that. And the reason was, once the reputation of the church grew and spread to other places, then people saw that that home church was the base for goods and services. So the church plant might reach some new people, but then people say, well, where do I go if I have, say, a Down syndrome child? And so they offer a class for Down syndrome children. And then where do I go for divorce recovery? And then they order. And so the church, over the course of just a few years, grew to 5,000 people. And then it seemed the more they planted, the more they sent people out. So it sort of became like the mall, the base for goods and services. And we've come to the point where the church is the place that provides for me spiritual goods and services. There isn't a contribution and a requirement back from me. I don't have any equity in the church. And so when that church fails to meet and provide the goods and services that I need, I'm going to go over 
and I'm going to attend this other church that provides the goods and services. And wherever, whatever place has the best goods and services, and that might be preaching, whoever has the best preaching or has the best children's program, whatever it might be, that's the place I'm going to go. And then what does that lead to? Disconnectedness. The church isn't the family. It's not the place that I go in the time of need. And where is that? Where do I go in my time of despair? Well, that becomes obvious when we become more disconnected. We become more a reflection of where society is at. So let's get back to despair for just a moment. I know, Pastor Walt, I went to a church for over a year not too many years ago and found myself at the end of that year having few, if any, friends in that church. And partly because, well, there were a lot of reasons, but I felt at that time that the church had lost its hospitality. If I was a person that was going through moments of despair, I had no one to talk with in that church, nobody. And certainly the pastor was way too busy to meet with me if I had that problem. So what you're saying is that if we're going to be really authentic in ministering to people with needs, such as people in despair, I think we have to take a little bit more time in getting to know them. One of the simple ways that we address this in our church is we talk about spiritual gifts. You'll find churches today that don't believe that spiritual gifts are for now, but at least in our church we do. One of my favorite verses in Ephesians when it talked about how Jesus ascended, and as he ascended, he gave gifts to men. He gifted the church, and so he gave people in the church gifts like hospitality. And we have some families in our church, and everybody knows that they have the gift of hospitality. They're not concerned with their house being so neat and tidy, but they'll have people over on after church on Sunday, during the week, they're Their homes are just constantly a flutter with people being invited in. You know, we're probably the only culture in the world where you go to somebody's house and they they don't offer you something to drink. When I go to my friend from Ecuador's house, he offers me something to drink and he gets me a a nice cold glass of pop. So we've lost that. And that's, again, another subject, but it's, it's cultural Christianity. We're not looking at true Christianity, inviting people into my home. We don't want anybody knocking on our door. We don't want anybody ringing our bell. We don't want anybody interrupting us. We don't want to have people see where we live and what our house looks like. And so we don't make those those points. And there's not an investment of the people into the church. What is my gift? What is my purpose? What is my not just my purpose in the world, but what is my purpose in the church? The church has a great opportunity to give people a sense of identity and a sense of belonging. And without that, it's another major contribution to despair. I'm not needed here. I'm not wanted here. Nobody cares about me. I don't have a place. I don't have a meaning. I think people are going to be ready for in the next 20 or 25 years, more restrictions, more definition. When a husband understands his role, when a wife understands her role, children understand their role, when I find my place in the world and I find my purpose, and I find my purpose in a group of people that are loving and and kind and gracious to me, that's where the church becomes magnetic. I'm not sure, I'm still trying to figure it out, but I'm not sure I really buy into the idea that church planting reaches lost people. I think church planting 
reaches people who have had a religious experience, but I'm not sure that church planting reaches, say, the atheist or the the godless or the, the person, we call them the nuns now. When they check off on religion, they have none. And we've seen a, a drastic increase in the number of nuns in our culture. No church affiliation, no religious affiliation. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another, how you interact in the body. And are we providing a place for people to come into the church, find out their gift, find out their purpose? What Christianity is supernatural, but we try to make it natural, right? It's supernatural. I have a supernatural gifting. The Holy Spirit of God put a gift in me, and he has anointed me to use that gift. That's a powerful and exciting message. You know, Solomon talked about this when he said, meaningless, meaningless. He wrote this at the end of his life as a reflection. He tried everything, power, money, fame, hedonism, women, other religions. We know he had a thousand wives. Who wouldn't be excited about that, right? (laughs) Well, it depends on how you look at that, Walt. That's true. (laughs) But at the end of his life, he comes back to God. He tried it all. He might have been the richest man in the world in addition to the fact that we're told that he was the wisest man in the world. I mean, he certainly had as many women as any guy has ever walked the face of the earth, and it didn't satisfy him. And we keep telling people more and more, try this, try this new religion, try this new drug. And what do we have at the end of it? We have despair. And here's the problem with the church. We deny what is right before us. It's the breakdown of society. It's the breakdown of the family, which is God's institution. God instituted the family. Two women do not make a family. A man and a woman make a family. We can't, we're afraid to say that. But God has a specific way and he has a specific plan. About this, the suicide rate, everything I read is simply speculation. We don't know what's causing this. Well, you just look at history. You started in the 60s. You came to the 70s, the me generation. And then the confusion began to come in the 80s. And now we are reaping what we sowed. We have a generation that is in total despair. Pastor Waltz, so much of this is so good. I mean, you've really diagnosed the culture, you've diagnosed the church and some of the issues that we face in the church of not really reaching our culture. For that matter, we're not even reaching the people who attend our church. But so where do we find this help? Where do we go? How do we make the changes that are so necessary in finding the hope that people need to keep themselves from going crazy or committing suicide? Ultimately, It's our response to the despair. Every person at some point in their life is going to feel despair, whether they're a Christian or not. Jesus said that his father causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, the evil and the good. But ultimately, it is my response when the rain comes, when the storm comes, when the flood comes. Everybody feels despair when they go through the death of a loved one or they go through divorce or disappointment, loss of job, unemployment, there's going to be despair in our life. Most of the great heroes of the Bible experience despair at some point in life. What is our response? And if I don't have a healthy response, then I might be led 
to the point or the verge of suicide. Anthony Bourdain is certainly not the first chef who ever felt despair. Other chefs feel despair, disappointment, and depression. Robin Williams is certainly not the first comedian that has suffered with depression. But ultimately, what is my response to the despair? And when I realize that I am created, not as an accident, but with a purpose and a meaning, from a God who had a purpose and meaning. Sort of, we take sort of like this deistic view of the world, that God created everything and then he just stepped out of it. There's no way that you can look at such an intricate creation and say there wasn't an intricate God involved in that creation. If he takes time to care for the sparrows and the lilies of the field, he certainly can take time to care for me as a human being. And our God has the capacity and the capability out of seven and a half billion people in the world to pay attention to me, to be involved in the concerns of my life. So there's hope. There's hope in God. There's hope in his son, Jesus Christ. And he took all of that despair and he placed it on his shoulders when he hung on the cross. And the most exciting thing about it is God can run the universe, but at the same time he can say, let me walk with you in that burden and come into my body, the church, and let's walk in that burden together. In fact, we're commanded in the scriptures to bear one another's burdens. We don't like that. Don't come near me. It's just like we're poison if we have depression or anxiety. And that's where the church has failed. We think everybody who's Christian is supposed to be happy. That's not what I'm saying at all today. You will walk through despair. You will walk through dark times. But you will find hope in those times of despair, even in those times when you feel that God is not there. Somehow, the beauty of Christianity is that I can find meaning even in those moments of despair. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and please let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud. Please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org. This podcast is listener-supported. Please consider how you can help by going to our website at cvcmpls.org.